really uh, pepped up. And, uh, you know, then to see that, that we're, we still like so much, uh, that's, uh, that's really uh, challenging to me. But once again, great people, awesome people at these conferences that are geared up. We are making a difference and it really energizes me. And it gets back to what Lauren was mentioning about legacy. You know, we, we, we think about that on our farm at home and, and how things are going to be down the road. And we, uh, much like uh, you two on here with us, uh, we want to do right by the soil and by the land and, and leave that legacy behind us that says, uh, hey, we've done all we could do. Yeah. And, you know, before I go into my first question with you guys, I, I want to throw something out, else out here. This takes a lot of a lot of time and a lot of energy, you know, to, to travel the country or the world, uh, tell your story and and, you know, trying to help people down this road of of whatever you want to call it, regenerative or, or reduction of inputs, whatever you want to call it. So um, there's many, many more people out there doing great things. So, yeah, thank you for, for everybody that goes out and spreads that word. Um, Jimmy, my first question for is for you. Um, I want you to tell the group a little bit about more about where you are in the world. You know, what's your altitude uh, or your elevation? Um, and give me some rainfall amounts on an average per year. And then what are your what are your cocktails that you're planting and how are you managing managing those cocktails? So in, in Northwest Oklahoma, we're, we're in that 18 to 20 inch rainfall. And I tell everybody that's give or take 18 or 20 inches because <laughs> we've, we've, we've had as low as, as seven uh, in 2012 and as high as 25.3. Oh. oh, no. In the month of May and four crazy. So you got to be prepared. Uh, warm season mixes will be in that 15 to 18 different species uh, range with all the brassicas and the grasses and the forbs and, and, and everything in there. Uh, and then we do a lot of mob grazing, rotational grazing on that uh, in them fields because uh, most of that land we want to really improve and energize that. And so we use them cocktails to, to really build soil. And like I was telling them here today at the conference, if, if I really want to build that in a big uh, hurry, then I'll just turn around and plant another uh, cocktail mix in at a cool seasons or another double warm if I have the time uh, and graze that out. Because I am in the, the beef industry and the cattle industry. And uh, so I, I never get enough green forage in front of me. So it's a, uh, it's more challenging in this rainfall area than others, but once again, there are places like where I'm at in, in Idaho right now that's lower rainfall than I am. So uh, we're, we make it work. All right, so now, now Jimmy, so. Rick, you're on mute. Okay, so Jimmy, um, when when you're planting these these cocktails is your first thought um 
cattle are going to come to this field or are you also got uh, a plan for a cash crop because i know you raise cash crops so go into that just a little bit what crops are you raising and i know the cattle give you outs but are you always thinking of cattle first or is it split on your farm just kind of go into that just a little more detail so we use the cattle on a lot of these acres as plan b we'll we'll have in mind that we're going to raise a cash crop behind them covers uh, we use the cattle to utilize and recycle that that uh, biomass uh, quicker and get that turned around uh, but you know sometimes uh, the good lord doesn't give us a rain when we need to and if we're a little deficit we'll continue grazing that until we take half we don't want to take any more than half uh, and then we'll go to the strategy Uh, after that. So cattle are always plan A. If we're uh, for slaughter and stuff, we want them on the really good uh, grazing. We'll run them through in daily moves and, and, you know, maybe twice today if necessary uh, to get that bloom and finish on them. Uh, in them acres, uh, they would be the target number one. Uh, but normally my animals are the I think we may, I don't know. Hey, hey, Lauren, let's, let's, let's move on to Lauren. I think he's got some technical difficulties there. Um, hey, hey, Jimmy, we, we lost you for a little bit there. So if you don't mind, I'm going to move on to Lauren. I don't, your connection's a little weak right now. Okay. Thank you. Hey, hey, Lauren, yep, my first I'm back. Okay. Lauren, my first question to you is same thing. You know, what uh what's your elevation there? Kind of your rainfall. I know you're in northeast Iowa. Um and then after you talk about that, I want you to go into something that I've often thought about. I haven't really done a lot with because it's it's extremely difficult. But I want you to talk about raising cash crops in a perennial um, uh, clover field or legume or, or whatever whatever your choice choice is there in Iowa. Okay, we're at uh, 1,100 feet roughly, uh, 43 degree north latitude, and uh, 35 inches of liquid precip and another 36 uh, 36 of frozen precip. Probably the biggest key to what we're doing is usually I like to draw down the moisture profile in the spring with the cash crop, but we generally get that strong recharge about the late May into early June. So the reason for the perennials is it just, it fits with that cycle, even the relay cropping, you know, that that's why it seems we can make it work because the, you know, the key is that recharge. It's either we drain it out, evaporate it out, or, or uh, transpirate it out. And you know, just using the crops as that extra moisture drawdown is better for me than actually pattern, pattern tiling more ground. See, that, that's an interesting idea there. So if you, if you would have known 10 years ago what you know today, 
would you have pattern tiled as many fields or would you have just put tile in the areas that needed the tile? Uh, I'll go back to all our land was tiled early 70s. So everything is too far apart. Mm -hmm. and that is essentially why I started uh, doing cover crops and that. You know, my goal was to grow more moisture out. And uh, now we've evolved to the point you know, that worked for a long time. We, you know, we were catching up, but now we've evolved to the point where we're actually back to our water holding capacity. And that is so high that we're starting to get more moisture seeps. So your, your average person would say, hey, I should have probably went and pattern tiled it. But my, that's why we're going to start pushing harder and harder. I think we're on the tip of the iceberg with the relay and companion cropping. I just need to figure out what crops more I can add to help pull more moisture down in our profile at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. You see, we work so hard toward building aggregate stability, infiltration rates, water holding capacity, all of these things you're talking about are what you get rewarded for being soil health minded, being a steward of the land. That's everything you're talking about. So then when you get the dog days of summer, we all get dog days of summer everywhere. Yep. Your profile, you hope, is filled, the tank's full, and you can you can kind you go hopefully hang on for that five or six or seven day stretch when you get those 95 degree days. So yeah, and yeah. I, I would say this year we got tested the hardest I've ever been tested. You know, we had four inches of moisture from the time of planting all the way until about black layer on corn. Oh, wow. You know, and other than once, you know, once we put nitrogen on, the corn did start showing a little stress, but like the soybeans, none of them showed stress all the way through the season. Now, go back. Let's go back just a little bit, Lauren. Let's, I want to go into this perennial thought again. Yep. Okay. Are you strip tilling then? If you're going to plant corn into this perennial uh, environment that you've got established, are you strip tilling or how are you getting that corn into the system? Uh, establishment on the cover crop would have started out like an interseed on the corn. Mm. So it's going to be in between the rows to begin with. Okay, so you've come out of one of your relay rotations, you're going into corn. Yep. And then you're interceding that, that cover crop at V3, V4, V5. Correct. And then, then once we have that established, then we just keep kind of knocking it back every year with the enroll or stuff like that. Just enough to stun it, but not kill it. And that's a fine line. I mean, we have fields that we've maintained the clover since 2016. Wow. And now I think I've heard you even say it. Now we've got the seed bank up there. Mm -hmm. We're getting to where the clover, you know, clover grows naturally in my area anyway. But now we've super seeded that seed bank where I don't even need to seed much for covers right now. You know, they just yeah. we're kind of okay. at the point where we're getting self-seeded covers and the, the cycle is just kicking. Right. I've noticed at home when, and I'm in West Central Indiana, if you know where Champaign, Illinois is, come right into the Indiana line and that's where I'm at, a little bit north. But I've known, and, and I don't know, I'll ask Jimmy this question in a minute, but I've noticed that where we've got the infrastructure and where we're grazing cattle, we're starting to get those low-lying Dutch white clovers are coming back. So 
that's telling you something that, that the cattle, their footprint, their saliva, their, their, their mode of action is stimulating those, those uh, species again. And we're starting to get those without introducing them back into the system. So, you know, I think we're slowly building, all of us are slowly building these perennial systems. Uh, we have to learn how to manage them. Well, and I, I think one thing a lot of us have been missing when we're trying to account for some of that is taking account for the native herd. Yeah, you know, I, I threw that picture out yesterday on Twitter and that, you know, there, there's 20, 30 deer mob grazing in the field. Yeah. You know, and every ever since we started cover crop, our wildlife population has just blossomed. Right. You know, so that, oh. that's key for me. You know, most people know that I can't be around livestock and that. So, you know, we, we've got to start embracing what has been given to us. And, you know, we, we talk about overmanaging stuff. Well, we can't overthink a lot of, you know, even even our livestock. Got to, right. you know, take take account of what we've got. Right. So now, Lauren, are you are you heading toward uh, zero chemistry? Is that where you would like to go or or tell me about that? Oh, I'm, I would like to get there, but I'm in no hurry to get there. I guess I'll put it that way. You know, I, I'm, I want every tool in the toolbox. You know, we do have some certified organic acres now, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I'm, my biggest problem is I'm gone too much in the summertime and I don't really have that secondary line of defense on the help side yet. Yeah. You know, hopefully I've got son-in-law starting to look back at the food grade crops and that they're there i want to be you know the timing and that is critical on some of that stuff and if i book an appointment somewhere i got to go to the appointment i can't you know so that's why i've had to back off some some of that stuff but uh you know we're going to keep pushing the limit and uh you know i i hope somewhere along the line that's where we get the regen labels and that you know if somebody can ever we've been promised for years the nutrient density stuff and that I know there's some pretty smart people working on that painlessly right now. You know, they're, they're focused on it. And if they can yep. help us get to where we actually need to be, I think that's, that's the ticket I want to roll with if it comes, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep pushing the boundaries on the, the organic side too. And yeah. you know, th this year, my, I've got, you know, we've got the enroll that in place and we're gonna, we're gonna see how much we can get by without this year. Yeah, I, I, you've got you've got to be in your comfort zone. Um, you've got to go slow. But yeah, I, I think we need to eliminate tillage and and then we need to eliminate chemistry. So, yeah. Yep. Now, Jimmy, I'd like to ask you. Um, what you know, I mean, when I think of Oklahoma, I think cold, but that's probably, I don't know if that's really true because you are so far south of me, but I want you to talk about that, but I also want you to, I want to know, you know, I just talked about when we bring cattle in our region, we, we get these low-lying clovers. What do you, do you see native grasses coming back? I mean, what do you see when you, when you introduce those cattle? Yeah, I mean, the, the native system is there, the seed bank is there. Once you open that up and, and give that opportunity for that to come back and we get away from that chemistry uh, and, and we're, we're getting close to zero, Rick, we're not, we're not there. We're yep. kind of uh, in 
between you and, and Lauren probably. Um, we still use a little uh, it, just as we have to. But as we get away from that, we start seeing them, them uh, native species starting to come back and get into the system. And the animals there with their impact uh, facilitate that and, and bring that on. So it, that's the exciting part. And, you know, we can be cold. We were down to, to nine uh, this morning, uh, but we're going to be 50 something by Saturday. Uh, and we can be well over 100 uh, in the summertime. So huge swings. We are further south than you and our days are a little longer. Uh, Lauren and I talk about this a lot, the difference uh, from his place to my place. But we have so much in common uh, despite where we're at. Uh, longitude and latitude on that. So amazing things you can do uh, in the same system in, in a different locale. Well, I always go back to the four principles of soil health, the original four, and they work around the world any anywhere. Well, I don't know about Antarctica, but they work just about anywhere around the world. Now, are you going to plant the same species that Lauren and I are going to plant? Probably not. So you're going to use different packages, different timing, different seasons, and you're going to try to work with Mother Nature instead of constantly working against her. So yeah, you can't fight Mother Nature. No, she will humble you in a heartbeat. So it's just it just happens that quick. Now, one of the things that that I often talk about. Um, this regenerative movement is farmer led and i mentioned that at the beginning and and i'm in, in i'm in total agreement with that but i think we've got a, a hole here we need to get filled and that hole is a definition because if we don't know what our goal is how do we all know where we need to be going so we've got to come up with a definition that is gonna be accepted not only from the producer, but the shipper, the processor, the retail plant, the consumer, you know, everywhere along that food chain, we need to have a definition that becomes standard across the industry. Then we can start all heading toward that goal. So, and, and I wanna tell the crowd, I, we have not rehearsed any of this. These guys don't know what I'm gonna ask them. They don't know what these questions are going to be. So, Jimmy, my question to you is, give me your thought on what a definition of regenerative ag should be, or would you even call it that? What would you, what would you say? You know, regenerative ag is rebuilding and restoring uh, a degraded resource, I believe. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's plain, simple, and short, and to the point that, that we we have to rebuild it and restore it because uh, we degraded it, and so I think Regen Ag uh, is, is the perfect definition of of how we can get there and explain that. Like you said, in in a simple term that everybody can agree on. Of course, everybody looks at it differently, and and, right. and I may be in the minority on that. No, no, that's okay. We're all entitled to our opinion, but you know, if you look at the way we farm. We've taken everything away, no chemistry, no inputs, no fertilizer, nothing. And if you ask my definition, I would say it's got to be something over in those lines. But that's too drastic. That's too, too hard line. So I'm okay with that. 
Let's come back into the fold and let's get more in the middle here and let's get a definition. Lauren, what do you think about this, this concept? I think the biggest thing with it, if we're going to set an artificial line, we've got to be very careful. Yeah. You know, I, the biggest thing I fear with setting that artificial line is there's a lot of people that try to shame people into things. Mm -hmm. And I know the three of us ain't going to do that. Yeah. You know, we're going to reach out and try to help that guy up. But, you know, I think that's where we all need to be looking at ourselves. If we're going to stand out here and say, hey, this is where the line is, we owe it to the people to help educate them to that's get true. to that point. You you know, Derek Axton probably says it the best. He's utilizing regenerative practices. You know, I think there's tests in that coming that will verify where we're at. But until we get to that point, I want to be very careful. You know, I want to... I've seen that backfire several times. And then on, on the flip side, industry t seems to take words and exploit them. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's just, I don't know. I just, I, I struggle with that. You know, I, I didn't really consider myself a regenerative farmer until, you know, the key for me was when we've actually got soil tests that show that we're at or above native soils. Yeah, that that gets me to the comfort level, but I don't want to use that to the point where, hey, benchmark. You need to be here to be part, you know, I, I want to be inclusive, I guess would be the simplest way to put it. Yeah, I understand your concern. If we do create a definition or somebody creates a definition, then that kind of it can shut some people out and 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 turn people off. And I understand that. Um but you know the other way I look at this too. So let's say let's say guys that that we came up with this notion, whatever the definition is, you need to constantly be implementing the four principles of soil health, and you need to maximize that. Okay. So in ten years of doing this, you've taken everything away. So are you? What then? You know, you you have maxed it out. So. Let's take that same thinking process to these carbon markets now. So, you know, I think the carbon markets are are in a position now where we all need to slow down just a little bit and and let the dust settle, see who the players are and and get a little better handle on on what the future really is going to look like. And, and I think the most important thing we have to realize is they're not going to save your farm. It's just another tool in your toolbox to add to your bottom line. So go ahead, Lauren, run, well, with, that, run with that the, ball. The, the, the biggest thing with the whole carbons deal is if you truly understand the, the carbon cycle, the whole ideal behind sequestering the carbon is to use it. Yeah. it it's just once you get the system rolling, the more carbon you're sequestering, then you can start stockpiling that little bit. But you know, I, I'm I'm not afraid to go on record and tell people I I'm very skeptical of any carbon market right now, just for the simple fact I'm worried where we're going to go. You know, when, when you've been international on that, you start understanding what's happening in other countries. And I mean, we don't have to look that far. Look at Canada. You know, they went straight to the carbon tax. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and the question I have, anybody that wants to buy my carbon is, okay, if I sell you my carbon and we go to a tax situation, where are we going to be? You know, are you going to sell me back my carbon for $15 a ton or whatever they're at? Or is it going to be the $100 a ton that people right. are telling that that credit is actually worth? Right. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a tricky, slippery slope to be on. That's why I think we all need to just slow down and and let you know the experts get this this stuff figured out a little better jimmy what do you think jimmy yeah 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 i totally agree i'm gonna turn my camera off here i'm having some uh internet troubles issues uh but yeah i i truly believe to stay on hold here a little bit we had a big conversation about that here at the conference in idaho today um and, and i agree with lauren uh, I don't want to sell something that I might need back. Um, and I'm not for sure that uh, everybody's got this carbon market figured out, how to measure it, how to how to have that model uh, that's accurate uh, yet as well. And so I'm still on hold and, and just waiting and seeing. And I'm more worried about fixing my soil and and just and, and moving forward with that. And if that gets figured out down the road and there's some opportunities, then maybe, but no hurry. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. So, um, boy, I just had a thought and I lost it, guys. That's what happens when um, you got too much going through your brain. Um, Oh, I know what I want to talk about. I want to go into one of the things I get asked a lot is how do we combat pests if we're not willing to spray a product to, to target that one single species. And as most of us know, if we target that one species, we're gonna wipe out thousands of beneficials. So I, I can't do that. So I always get asked, well, how do you deal with pest issues? So Lauren, tell me about what you think, do you have pest issues? And if not, then what do you think is the reasons why? I'm sure we, you know, we, we've battled a few things, but uh, so far, you know, let, let's take the fungicide and that in the relay crop and that, you know, just by changing the row pattern and that we open up the canopy. So in theory, we shouldn't need a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're seeing a lot healthier plants and all that, you know, I would like to be the guy that's smart enough to talk bricks and all that, but I'm not. You know, that, that's, that's where I'm hoping somewhere along the line, I attract a younger mind that can he- help exploit that. I mean, you, you touched on it earlier in the game. I'm an iron and steel guy. You know, yeah. I, I, I like building the equipment that helps us get to where we're going to need to be. But I also know I'm limited anymore. You know, I, I'm enthralled with what I see some of these guys capable of doing but my mindset's just not there. You know, I'm hoping the younger generation yeah. can help me get to that level. In the meantime, I'm going to watch like Jimmy with the, some of the stuff he's doing, Michael Thompson, some of the stuff he's doing, you know, there, there's some guys doing some pretty neat stuff. And yeah, I, I've got also to the point where I'm lazy. You know, I don't have to know everything anymore. I can call the guy that knows it and say, Hey, what do I do in this little instance? You know, John, uh, John Lundgren has been a great resource for a bunch of us. Sure. You know, I, I'll never forget the time he showed up at our place and we were seeing all these lace wings and that, 
and they were eating the heck out of our brassicas and in the interseed cover crop and a couple of days later boom they were gone mm -hmm. you know that that whole population shift if you're patient a lot of times it's just that extra day or two you know you got to be watching them signs is the biggest yeah. thing that i've seen but i think what i'm hearing here lauren the undertone here is is building soil health yep. you have to always be in the mindset of building soil health and heading more toward balance within your system. So when you get to those balance, you know, I don't know if we'll ever totally be in balance, but like, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand the bricks either, but I do understand the concept. If the sugar levels go up, we're not gonna have near the, as many pest problems. So, you know, sometimes going up to 50,000 feet and looking down is okay, you know? Uh, you build that tool that the rest of us can use across thousands of acres and let somebody else tell us about uh, bricks or sap, you know, like a John Kempf. I mean, he can tell us all we need to know about sap analysis. So, Jimmy, what, what do you think? What, what pest issues, what would be your number one pest in Oklahoma and do you, is it a concern for you? You know, probably the number one pest uh, is fall armyworms. Okay. Uh, but we really haven't had that big issue out where I'm at uh, in the in the properties that we've been in the longest, and our soil health is the greatest. Uh, we just don't see the pressure uh, in them healthy plants. It's the, it's the farms that we've rented later that we're still working on and trying to get them to level where it needs to be. Uh, I did have to spray for some worms and some corn a couple of years ago, but I was also trying to cut back on my inputs on that, that corn and I was starving it just a little at the wrong time and allowed uh, that weakness. And, and you know, when, when them plants aren't at their top peak of healthiness, there's a window there for a pest to move in. And so we really try to uh, push them and, and give them every opportunity to be healthy. And then we just flat dab don't have the, the trouble. I haven't sprayed enough insecticides or uh, any of that in, in quite a while, uh, just rarely. Yeah. It, one, it, one of our biggest advantages I just thought of is we're kind of off cycle from everybody else. Yeah. You know, everybody else in my neighborhood's growing corn. Yeah, they're going to have corn pest problems. You know, I'm the only guy growing, seriously growing rye or wheat in my neighborhood. How many disease issues am I going to have? You know, granted, that's what disease is what chased it away from Iowa. But if you're the only guy growing it right now, the disease cycle is going to be upset. And, you know, even on the beans that we're growing, we're growing a different maturity on over half of our beans. Yeah. So that, that kind of puts us off kilter and off cycle for aphids and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And see, I, you know, this is just great conversation because these are the things I think about. How can we change that, that sequence of that pest or that weed once we understand, you know, what that pest nature is, we try to then grow a crop that gets that out of sequence and tries to, we try to change that, that trigger point of whatever it is we're discussing. So it's just a constantly, again, trying to work with mother nature because she is telling us 
if we would just stop and, and see the signals that she's sending us. Um, gosh, there's so many things I got running through my brain here. Um, I, what, what I really want to get out is I really want, I want to understand, I want the crowd to understand, you know, we've got to go a little deeper here, guys, on give me, I need a rotation, Lauren, out of what you're doing. And I want you to go all the way, you know, you're, you've got this special drill, you're drilling, I don't know, two or three rows, then you've got to skip, get, get into this relay, because I think this is really going to be important for what I call the northern states, okay? So let, let, just give it all the way like I know nothing. Tell me how, how this is going to work. Our relay setup evolved out of our interceding torn setup. So I'm going to take you all the way back to about 2006 is when we started looking at the interceding torn. You know, I started thinking back what our grandparents and stuff like that did, and I started researching all the way back to 1870s, 1880s. University of Tennessee had some of the best data. You know, so I started trying to figure out how I was going to implement that on my farm. And uh, we just, we kind of started dabbling in the corn there. We were 100% corn on corn at that time. So the inner seed was the easy fit. And it, it, in reality, it took us till about 2012 to when we actually finally started hitting on what it was going to take to make it work. Okay, now, Lauren, Lauren, hang on a second. Okay, this is relay, not double crop, correct? This is the inner seed yet. I, I, I'm getting to the relay. Okay, you're on 30-inch corn? 30-inch corn, we're putting, you know, at that time we were trying broadcast, we were trying, you, you know, you name it. And about 2013, 14, I think it was, when we finally figured out, hey, we got to flip the rows around and this and that, we, we, we made the first twin row drill. Okay. And that would coincide with about the time I met John Coots in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. He was doing the same thing with wheat. You know, and I started thinking about it and I'm like, okay, we've got the drill. We've got this. We got that. You know, 2014, I was, I believe was the first time I went back to planting cereal grains since probably the early 80s. And I quickly realized that, uh, you know, the broad uh, monocrop wheat or rye or stuff like that, followed by the big biomass cover crops, is not going to pay rent in my neighborhood. It's not going to work, yeah. You know, so we, we were testing a few things and, you know, I was playing around planting the beans into the wheat and the rye and stuff like that. And finally, it's like, well, okay, we got the interseed drill. We got this. We got that. Boom. We had the system set up, ready to go. You know, a lot of people worry, oh my gosh, we spent all this money on equipment. Well, that drill is, you know, 2016 is when we built the current drill we have. The key to that drill is it's versatile. You know, it's not locked into one specific practice. You know, I can do my interseeding, I can do my relay cropping, I can do the in-row rolling as, you know, the first five years of the in-row rolling was done with the drill. Yeah. You know, we, we, at that time, you know, we were still putting on some P and K. We could P and K ban, we could nitrogen ban, all that with one drill. And, you know, for that drill, you know, at that time I was down to 750 acres. It'd go over 3,000 acres a year and not hardly do any custom work. How wide is this, Lauren? Uh, it's just a 30 foot drill. And, you know, it, it's just all, everything I do is 30 foot controlled traffic. 
Okay. You know, without knowing that, you know, knowing exactly what controlled traffic was, we've been there since 2009 is when we officially signed on to it. But it's just everything I do is looking forward, you know, okay, here's where I'm at today. What do, where do I ultimately want to get? Right. And then I'll build into that. You know, and that, that's the biggest thing I try to emphasize to people when they see the pictures we show up today, don't try to start there. You know, a lot of times it took us five to 10 years to get to that. Yeah. You know, I'll help you learn how to, how we got there. I'll try to show you our mistakes, but don't be afraid to take time and you're going to have to risk a little bit. So you don't, you know, sometimes you don't understand the mistake until you make it yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the hardest part a lot of people have to understand as they're doing this stuff. You know, people want answers from us. Well, a lot of the answers that are the most determining factor are the ones you make on the spur of the moment. I always tell everybody, my, the key to my success has been my ability to run scenarios in my head. I'm constantly running what if scenarios. You know, That's and I, I try to yep. do that without panicking. You know, if some people knew how far I planned on things, they, it'd scare them. You know, but well, I don't stop. Hey, Lauren, it's like it's like I say a lot. I've in twenty one, I went through the alphabet on plans yeah. and started over with capital letters. Yeah, and I mean, we 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 went through the big letters, the little letters, and into the numbered letters. And you know that that's just you know there's no easy answers when you start going down this road. But the more of us that are doing it and sharing our ideals, we recognize those key things when somebody else is going to hit that train wreck. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's been the biggest thing, you know, avoiding the train wreck is the key to success. Yeah. And we got to remember here, I've talked about the four principles of soil health. There's a fifth one in there called context. This is very, very important because again, the principles work, but where are you in the world and is what Rick's doing going to work in Jimmy's world, probably not. Uh, Lauren, you and I are a little closer aligned, but you're still several miles north of me. I mean, I am right in line with the Iowa-Missouri border. Yep. So all of Iowa is north of me. Yeah, I'm 200 miles north of that line. Yeah, so that's not a huge amount, but it does make a difference. Um, so we've got to keep all of this into perspective. We can't jeopardize the livelihood of our farms we we've got to constantly you know listen to podcasts like this and all those other great ones out there and learn and go to go to conferences and 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 i think what what i like to think is you know when we go speak somewhere we're trying to get people to think and not necessarily do everything we're doing but take one or two pieces and take it home and the last thing that we're trying to do is offend anybody of the way they currently farm. That's not what we're about. We're trying to augment what they are currently doing. And that's what these conversations are for, to promote thinking and stimulate change, because change is good. So now, Jimmy, I wanna go to you now give give the folks here a little idea about how sparse your rangelands are what's your density levels 
and what are your your rules of grazing? You're just your quick, you know, on the back of your hand rules of grazing. My my basic rules of grazing is I'm not going to take more than half of anything that's out there. Uh, and it all depends on how much rainfall we're, we're in. Uh, we're in a big dry period now. And so I got to be really careful about taking, uh, you know, 60%. I got I got to take 40% and leave 60 now. Uh, and so stock densities, that depends on my goal. Uh, you know, if I'm trying to terminate a cover crop or uh, use the animals, I use the higher stock densities. If I'm trying to just graze that and nip that off and move them cattle forward uh, and trying to put big gain on cattle, I, I don't want to uh, do that heavy trampling stop. I want to get the first bite and then move on. Uh, so the densities change uh, with my goals, and, and, and it depends on if it's cow-calf, if it's, if it's yearlings that I've got that I'm wanting to finish for the market. Uh, so I, I know I'm not answering that question, but no, no. It, it really depends. You are answering this question perfectly because there is no set answer. There, it depends on what you have in front of you and what's coming in the future, which I know we don't all know what the future's bringing, but you know by looking at your herd, if you've got 205 weights or if you've got 208 weights, and now you know where you need to be to finish those cattle out. So, no, your answer was exactly perfect. And again, I would venture to say, and I'm not an expert on grazing like you are, Jimmy, but I would venture to say that it's the same thing as the four principles of soil health with that context part. You know, what you're talking about in Oklahoma, the same concepts work in Arkansas, but yet it's gonna be on, on a different context, different species, different things like that. Is that safe to say? Oh yeah, I mean, it, it definitely depends on where you're at, you know, in longitude, latitude, and moisture and temperature. Uh, you know, if, if we're really wanting to, to fix and, and try to improve native rangeland, we'll, we'll do high stock density and daily moves. Uh, and do I do that every day on all my acres? No, I, I, you know, I travel a lot. I just have Ginger and Carson at home, but we focus on one place at a time. We try to improve that and move on. Uh, we're still learning the system as well and how hard to push it and, and how hard uh, to rest it. You know, heavy on, long periods of rest uh, in desert areas works great. Um, and we can increase our production that way. Um, but, you know, am I the best grazer yet? And do I have it all figured out? No, but I do have the principles down and the context. And I, I do have my locale figured out somewhat over the 50 years of, of knowledge that I've accumulated here of, of the failures behind me or the disappointments where I missed the bar and tried to learn that from that. And that's what I told them here today at the conference. It's, it's not about focusing on what didn't work. It's focusing on how to fix what didn't work. What, what can we adapt and, and change to improve uh, that and make it better outcome the next time? So that, that's really key, Rick. 
Uh, I don't have certain stock densities. It depends on the goals that I'm wanting for the day and, and setting up a, a cover crop rotation. It depends on what I'm doing after that, that cover crop, what cash crop or another crop. So very flexible on the go. But Jimmy, I absolutely love that because you've got to stay flexible and you've got to be able to move with whatever's happened. That's why I, I, I know I say a lot of things a lot of times, but I want to drive this home. It's okay to have 30 plans. Don't think that that's a problem because too many times we hang our head and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything right. No, you've got to understand that this is a constantly evolving, changing enigma. I mean, it just has a life of its own. Yeah, and, and I really think that's where Lauren and I really have become best friends in, in, in this. Through our adversity and, and, and tragedies that we've had in our lives have driven us to have multiple plans uh, and to never give up, to keep moving forward, regardless uh, whether the fire department's calling, saying, what do you want out of your house? Uh, you know, or, or your health, don't let up. You come up with plan A, B, C, D, 27, 43, whatever it takes to, to move forward, moving forward. I think that's really what brought us together. We, we live so far apart. And, and, uh, but yet it's the same. And, and we agree on that no matter what we're going to do, we want to move forward. Yeah. And uh, the plan number is irrelevant. It's, it's the, the moving target plan. Right. I, uh, think I would add to that. I think, I think what gets a lot of people in trouble is pride. You know, they, they have this preconceived notion of success. Mm -hmm. No, some days just surviving the day is success. Yeah. And, you know, one of my, one of the, my biggest driving factors, you know, you don't know how bad things can get until you're just dang happy you got problems yet when you walk out of a room and you're just glad you've got a problem everything looks up from there trust me yeah well, and i told them today here at the conference you know uh, we have men as a whole have a have a problem saying that that i'm wrong or i need to stop and ask directions and, and i think that's really uh, really a key that that we we admit sometimes the path that we were on was wrong and we need to redirect and and and, and go again and and for a lot of people that's extremely hard but once again if you can survive the day and, and just glad to have a problem that you're still here and your family's still here and your home's still here uh you learn to appreciate that well yeah, I think you're answering this this one question that's come out of the audience is motivation. What, you know, you guys have been doing this a long time, and I don't see either one of you slowing down anytime soon. Um, I'm going to start with you, Jimmy. What I want you to really go deep here on this. What is motivating you to be this 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 wacky, crazy guy, you know, because that's what I don't know. I imagine we get called a lot of things and hope and luckily I don't hear everything we get called, but wacky and crazy are okay to talk about here. Why do you do this, Jimmy? 
you know, I get I get that asked a lot. Uh, and, and sometimes I can't answer it. It's a, an inner power, inner motivation uh, that really energizes me that we can do better. Uh, uh, when you look at the soil erosion rates uh, across this country and we're, we're, we're eroding 1.69 billion tons a year out of our out of our fields and into our streams, that just uh, lights a fire under me, Rick, that that I can't let up. I mean, oh. it's like good grief, people. This is our livelihood of our country, of our world. And if we destroy our soil, we destroy ourselves. And so it, it's that that burning uh, drive that, that I just can't get my foot off the gas. Uh, I know we can do better. We have the technology. We, we have the ability to do better because I see us doing better. A lot, that, a lot of people, a lot of friends of ours are doing better and we have stopped that. And, and the, the majority of the country can do that. But, you know, we're gonna to have to assist them and we're gonna to have to encourage them and educate them uh, how to do that uh, better and change that mindset. And so I'm stepped on the gases flat-footed as I can be at full speed ahead. Yeah, well, that that's awesome. That That's absolutely awesome. Now, you know, before I get to Lauren, I think, um, you know, I, I unfortunately, guys, a farmer's success is based on yield. So many times it's all about yield, and there's just, that's the worst thing. It's like the carbon markets. Why are we doing this on carbon? Let's do it on something else, the water cycle, you know, uh, soil health score, something, but, but, you know, if a farmer didn't, didn't win the county yield, he wasn't, he wasn't a success. I mean, it, there's so many other things that we can look at than that. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, Jimmy. Um, there's just, you know, if, if you get into this mindset of where you are on this massive reduction of inputs, you no longer need that high-end yield because your ROI, which is your return on investment, is actually gaining over those, those situations where you are striving to maximize yield. So Lauren, take, take, that, take that away. What's motivating you and, and why are you still doing this? I would say, Something I said a long time ago, I think a few of us are playing checkers, most are playing chess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there, there's a bigger picture in mind if you're playing chess. You, you always got to be thinking a couple moves ahead. If you're playing check, checkers, you're, you're kind of just, okay, I go here, I go here, go here. What yeah. did I just describe? Your average American farmer. Yeah. You know, if you don't want to measure things in yield and stuff like that or return on investment or anything, you got to create your own playing field. Well, what have yeah. some of us done? We've created our own playing field. We are no longer, you know, I can talk dollars per acre with the best of them. You know, that, that was probably the hardest thing over in Ukraine. They are so ingrained on every little penny. If Greg Sauter says buy this, they will buy that. Yet every conversation I had over there ended up with our planner didn't perform. Mm. Well, you've got to focus on them fundamental details before you start adding all this other stuff. Yeah. Well, get good at what you're good at and go from there. And, you know, on the flip side, I'm going to say part of what we're doing is hereditary. 
You know, I've been fortunate enough to be on the home farm in Germany. It's almost like a carbon copy of West Union, Iowa. Now, we never met until, you know, I met some of the family in 1994, but I was not over there until about 2000, I think, 19, I think it was. You know, and when you walk on that farm, almost everything I'm doing, they're doing. So we got we got to st stop and think some of this is hereditary and, you know, give a lot of credit. What I've been able to do is up to my dad. You know, he, he's the one that's opened the doors for me. He, he, he invested in things that afforded me the chance to learn yeah. and not being, not being afraid to take that chance to test that hypothesis. You know, will this work? Can I make this work? You know, if, if I needed something, I built it. That, that right. low, low budget has been kind of part of our mantra for a long time. Yeah. Um, now, Let's shift into, there's a lot of talk right now about how are we gonna get every acre covered with a cover crop, okay? I, I don't think that's realistically possible. I, you know, that would be great if we could get that done. But Lauren, what do you see as the, the, the stumbling blocks to either A, get more traditional type farmers to, to, to try some of these methods? What about supplies of cover crops? What about teachers out there teaching? What, what do you think about, you know, if, if tomorrow the, the, somebody came up with a plan to cut, let's do half of the corn and soybean acres in the United States, what do you see as, as problems with that? I think if we can figure out how to make it cash flow, it'd be easy. You know, and that, that's been the hard part for a lot of people. They focus on the expense of the cover crop instead of the actual value of the cover crop. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to share some slides tomorrow on what cereal rye has done to us just bushel wise. You know, the, the meeting we're going in tomorrow is we're going to be dealing with the black dirt mafia. Sure. You know, we're looking at baby steps tomorrow. You know, how can we help these guys have that first experience be a success? That's right. And let me, let me hold you right there. I, th this, this is critical. If you're going to, you're rolling into an area where they hardly know what the word cover crop means. If you get these folks into a situation where this, this does not work, they're not coming back, Lauren. They are not. So you are exactly right success has to be right out of the gate that first year. Yep. And I mean, some, some of what I'm going in tomorrow is going to be compliments of going to Ukraine. You know, I haven't talked strip till for over five years, but I had to hurry up and throw together a presentation on strip till for Ukraine. Now, when I walked into Ukraine, I would say 80 to 90% of the Ukraine is still moldboard plowed. Wow. I mean, these are people that haven't even heard of the rainfall simulator, the Haney test, none of that. You know, so when Lauren Steinle walks up on stage, I did put pants on that way, by the way. But, uh, you know, when I walk on stage and, you know, they, they wanted to hear strip till, but they also wanted to hear some of what the potential is. You know, one of the best questions I had towards the end of the presentation is like, Lauren, what do you think you can offer us? 
I said, I think if we sit down and exchange some ideals, we can probably cut 15 years off of your learning curve. Because what I seen there was 1970s. That's important. That is important. Uh, but we're, we're, we're not going to take them right to relay cropping. We're not going to take them, you know, we're going to set that goal out there. So they start looking at that long-term goal. But we're going to start simple. You know, let's get the cereal right ahead of the soybeans. Let's get something into the corn, you know, figure out something for right. the corn. If I have to, we're going to go in and strip till. Because is it the perfect tool? No, but it is a good, comfortable tool for a guy that's moldboard plowing because we can maintain yield. Start to think about transitioning toward no-till. Yes, and I mean, we, 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 we've got to take them baby steps because it all goes back to if we fail that first step, not only are we going to lose that guy for a couple of years, but we're going to lose the guy down the road, the guy at the coffee shop, everybody in the 10 mile area. Yeah. Because so-and-so down the road had a bad experience. Yeah. And, yeah. you know. That's exactly right. You know, that that's, that's probably a little different than a lot of guys are going to come out here and tell you. But uh, I, I think we all, you know, it goes back to what I said earlier. We can't shame anybody into doing anything. We've got to show them success and back it up with our own successes. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jimmy, what do you think about the original question there was, you know, we want to move forward and get acres covered. Uh, you know, I think, I think you got to be realistic too. And you've got to look at what would be a successful amount of acres. And I've often thrown out 20 to 25%. You know, if you could get those amount of acres on board, then I think what happens if you get the teachers, you get the people in the right places, you have success, I think then it just slowly starts to take over in that area and it just moves on its own then. Because like Lauren was just saying, you get the opposite effect of of a failure over here and everyone's going to say see i told you that wasn't going to work you get that opposite effect where hey bob tried this look what he's doing now now let's start to move this out across more acres so uh what do you think jimmy did we lose jimmy we might have lost well, sorry about well, that. In realistic terms, there's no way we have enough seed stock base to, to cover every, every acre. Can you hear me? You're cutting yeah. out, but I, I, I think you're saying that we don't Can have you the hear amount me? of cover crop seeds to cover the amount of acres that you went to? Yeah, I'll thank them back now. Can you hear me, Rick? Yes, go, Jimmy. So realistically, we don't have the, the, the cover crop seed stock to cover all the acres. So we're not going to get there even if we wanted to right away. Right. But I agree with you, 20 to 30% is very realistic. Uh, if we push hard, I think we can get there. And then that, that gives great opportunity for growers to grow something other than the traditional commodity that they've been growing. There's lots of opportunities to grow uh, cover crop seeds, whatever that is uh, across this country. And, and back to that yield while ago, 
my banker has never asked me how much I made in yield. He always asked me how much money did I bring in to pay him. And, and we don't even discuss yield. So why is yield so important? And in this new era, if we can get another 20, 30% of producers uh, to start covering their soil, opens up a new uh, opportunity to grow something other than traditional uh, commodities. So it, it's, I, I totally agree with you, Rick. I think 25, 30% is, is, is a great, great goal. I think we can hit in the next three to five years. Yeah. Yeah. And I want everyone to understand that, that, you know, yields important. You've got to have yield. We, we know that. But it's not what's driving any of our systems. It's, it's all of these things about building soil health, building human health, and, and reduction of inputs and, and all of that. So, um, let's see. I, I don't know why my brain, I need to write these questions out. Jimmy, when you talk, you, you, you spark about two questions, and I need to start writing them down. But um, I'm sorry, I have that effect on some people well, sometimes. That's okay. Maybe you need to just keep talking and, and then I'll, I'll get a question back. But, um, um, so, yeah. so Lauren, tell me, tell me, I'm going to ask both of you the same question now. And again, nobody knows that I'm going to ask this. Lauren doesn't know I'm going to ask, the, ask him this question. Lauren, I want you to tell me who has been some of your mentors or or maybe mentor might not be the right word, but who have been those people that have really gotten you uh, in this this mindset and 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 down this this journey of being a good steward to the land and, and a regenerative minded individual? I would say probably the most influential has been Garth Malky of GS3 Seeds. I mean, if it wasn't been for him, I probably never would have met Dave Brandt. I wouldn't have met Dan DeSutter. I wouldn't have met Terry Taylor. I probably wouldn't have met Rick Clark. And, you know, it just, once you meet that right person, it kind of just starts snowballing from there. And, uh, you know, but with that said, that was one of the hardest ones, you know, a couple of years ago when Garth had a little issue with his son, I wanted to be there, but it just, it was one of those deals. I couldn't be there at the time for him. And I mean, we've become very good friends over the year and, you know, there, there, there's been a few other key people along the ways, but uh, I would say he was kind of the pivotal turning point, you know, and then 2014 when Dave Brent shows up in your place, that was, that was one of the validating moments. That's a big deal. When Dave shows up, that's a big deal. Yeah. And then, you know, next one was Jill Clapperton shows up out in my field one day and, you know, the one night we had five PhD people, I think it was, or four or five, I don't remember it was, but Jill Clapperton's down on the floor crawling on the ground. And she's like, you ain't supposed to see this stuff here. And it's just like, cool. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's them little moments are what drives a guy to keep pushing a little bit. And like I said, you know, I, I, I think I told the other day, you know, the, probably the most humbling moment is when you open yourself up and you start sharing you quickly realize it's a vicious cycle. You know, the minute I started sharing, people started sharing with me and then you just, yeah. it just keeps building. It's and, that community we talked about at yeah. the beginning, the camaraderie, the community, the openness. Um, it's all, I mean, 
you know, we could have a whole episode on, I don't like to use the word failure. I use outcomes we didn't expect. And that probably would be a valuable episode to have, but I don't mind talking about those things because it's real. I mean, everything out here is not candy canes and lollipops. And if you think it is, and you think you got this figured out, you're way wrong. Well, Rick, nothing's easy to start with. None right. of us come out uh, talking, walking, and running. Uh, we we had to learn that one step at a time, and and that's where we're at in this this system. It, it do we have it all figured out? The three of us? No, we don't. But we've got a lot more figured out than we did five or ten years ago, and, yeah. and it's just a learning curve. Uh, and I tell a lot of people. I get one problem solved that I'm really comfortable about and I open another door of three and uh, I work on them three and I get them three figured out, two more open up. But that's the fun part. Uh, that's the energizing part that we're still moving forward uh, in our thought process and, and our problem solving. That's what we really do is we work on problem solving. We, we don't give up. We try to fix what what we can uh right. and move forward and and right. you know that i think that's key but then i think we got to really key in on it's all about the health of the soul is the health of our our plants and the health of our bodies i think that's the future of what's really going to drive us is a healthy systems approach creates a healthy system in the big sense yeah, you're not going to have human health until we have soil health. It's just Amen. Well, I, I think that's one thing we're all starting to hit that time frame of life when we start realizing what we've all sacrificed to get here. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm far from the perfect picture of human health, but we're, we're working on it. I mean, you know, we, we, we've done some dumb things over the years and we're, we're paying the price, but the good news is there, there's still recourse. So we got time and yeah yeah well let's talk a little bit about human health um you know we spend so much time on our systems and 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 everything with farming and sometimes we let the, the things go to the side that we shouldn't and i was a very big hypocrite in this i did not have a very good diet away from home my wife my beautiful wife, Carol, had wonderful meals for me at home. But when I'm on the road or I'm in the field, I'm going to grab a Mountain Dew and I'm going to eat a piece of pizza. I'm going to do all this. Well, folks, long story short, I, I turned myself into a type 2 diabetic just based on the food that I was eating away from home. Well, as a result of that, I mean, you know, boom, that's when you don't realize how important health is, is until you don't have it anymore. So I made drastic changes. Carol changed my diet. We got a little exercise regimen going on. I'm proud to say that I'm no longer on any insulin. I'm not on any medication. So all this can be done. So Lauren, what, I mean, what, and you know, before I, before I go to you, Lauren, I want to say one more thing. You know, I think the other way you look at human health is, all of these these pesticides and herbicides and insecticides that we we put our bodies in and contaminate I, I don't want to do that anymore i'm not going to 
let the generation of Mike and Carol's children and then now our grandchildren, we're not going to be in that world. So that's how I look at human health. And then also the nutrient density of the food that we're creating. That's what uh, Jimmy was alluding to a few minutes ago. You've got to have soil health to get to that higher density levels in our food. Take it away, Lauren. Oh, shoot. I mean, I guess what was coming to my mind is I'm going to take all the way back to, I think it was 1983. I was hit broadside by a semi. How old were you? I was 14. 14. And it was one of those deals. I was a proud peacock. Dad, first time he let me drive the 4440 and, you know, right right there in town, I was hit broadside. But that, that right there is the pivotal point in my career. Yeah. You know, because over the next 10 years working with livestock and all them over the, you know, my body started rebelling. And, you know, now it's to the point where I can't be around livestock and that because I can actually pick up livestock disease. And, you know, none of you, you can take all that away from me until about a year ago at Christmas. You know, the daughters both think they have to have dogs in the house. So it got to the point I can't even go to the daughter's houses. But uh, even that didn't bother me a lot until my little buddy Oliver shows up at our place one day and I couldn't, I could start to feel it on him. And, uh, you know, John Kemp's wife, she had been there the summer before and we talked with her and I'll admit I was the first guy to think some of that stuff was a little out there. But when you're out of options, you'll try, try try things and uh you know within a couple weeks of getting on some of the holistic healing things she had me on boom i can go back to the daughter's houses and all that and you know i'm I'm gonna take a full circle because we're not that smart you know this this winter all of a sudden we had another grandkid and i i go to the daughter's house all of a sudden i can feel the dogs on it again brenna's like well we've got to get you re-upped on the the stuff and that that we're you're out i'm like yeah Bingo. Yep. And yep. you know, the, the so, neat part is back to Ukraine. Our our translator over there has some really cool stuff. She was talking, you know, I, I was messaging John Kemp about some of that. So it's going to be something to see where some of that comes. Yeah. yeah. But now, now, Lauren, think about those parallels there that you just laid out between what John's wife was trying to do to help you and then what you're trying to do to help the soil. Yep. It, it's all there. It, it, yeah, it's all there. So now we just heard that from a guy who farms in an I state. So now, Jimmy, what's your take on human health, soil health, everything we just talked about? You know, one of the greatest things that's happened to me, Rick, in the last couple of years is meeting Aaron Martin uh, out of the Tulsa area. Uh, and Aaron uh, started a fresh RX program up there with the medical clinic. Uh, with uh, 50 diabetic patients that had A1Cs uh, in double digits, 13 and a half, mm. you know, and 14s, uh, terrible uh, uh, A1C levels. Uh, the doctor said, something's got to give. Uh, uh, I want to go into a fresh RX program where I can prescribe uh, fresh local vegetables. They raised a quarter of a million dollars up there. Uh, got 50 patients in that trial with the medical clinic and six months into it now, them patients are in single digit numbers, uh, half of where they were uh, on half of the medication and some of them less than that. 
So it, it just proved to me instantly that, that we can turn this around and just like you. I mean, it's amazing what we can do when we do eat the right things and yeah. they are nutritious and they're local and they're fresh and they're really good. Now, that's hard to find uh, in the society that we're at because every corner, you know, there's a fast food and, and good sweets and, and, and plenty of uh, fountain drinks and stuff. And, and I'm guilty of that. Uh, that sin once in a while more than I should uh, but it really energizes me to see uh, what we can do uh, in our our health, human health with the health of our soils and so I'm working with them producers up there that's that's growing them fresh vegetables and fruits for that RX program and it's really re-energized me to a, a totally new level and a, a light has really come on of what we can do. Well, yeah, and you see, Jimmy, it, as that area right there you're talking about becomes successful, then that will migrate to other parts of the world. And now you just start to really slowly build this, this engine and, and you now start to raise the human health, you know, I'm 58 years old, and if I follow what Carol wants me to do, which I do 98% of the time, I have never felt better than I do right now. I've lost 10 or 15 pounds. I've got more energy. Uh, I just, I have that mental capacity now to think better. I, I feel like that, that the lifestyle we're living is, is a better, healthier lifestyle. So it just clears your mind mind up on on everything sure sure and, and that's what we see in all these uh patients and and like you said it, it's just building one block at a time the hoover dam was built in blocks one at a time and yeah. that's what we got to do here with the fresh rx program or i like to would like to call it pharmacy with an f and, right. and you know I really like that term, and I think that, that we can really show that. And once again, it gets us out of a different paradigm as well to start growing things that we've never grown before uh, with a great market uh, opportunity there. Right. I want to take you back quick to, you know, I started in 1983, but I want to take you to the year 1993. By, the, by that time, they had me on so diff many different drugs that uh, I believe that was the same year the anthrax scare at the White House, if you remember that. Oh yeah. Well, one of the one of the drugs they put you on was ciprofloxacin. Mm. Now the doses they had me on at that time basically sterilized my body, and it, it weakened my immune system to the point where I had no immune system and stuff like that. You know, so that was all part of the diagnosis, trying to figure out what was actually going on to me. But when, you know, early on, we were talking about the principles of soil health. Right. Has anybody put together the principles of human health yet? Yeah. You know, extreme chemical and physical disturbance is a big part of what's ruining some of our human health. Right. Yeah. Well, guys, I, I never know who's in the audience so the next question I want to ask you is, I'll start with you, Lauren. If you were going to make a recommendation to someone that's in your, 
your your region of growing the crops and the and the systems that you have how would you suggest that a person get started uh, part of that's going to depend on where they're starting from but i mean if, if we're talking a conventional grower yeah like i've said earlier we're, we're going to start simple you know let's talk cereal ahead of soybeans right i love that well, and, and bear in mind i'm in the heart of corn belt so you know, ninety percent of my neighbors are going to be corn bean rotation, the others being corn on corn rotation. Right. And uh, you know, if, if we can at least get them guys ahead of soybeans doing the cereal rye, I'll count that up as a win. Now, the guys west of me, I would advise them. That's where we're going to start talking the strip till stuff like that. East of me, that's going to be the biggest challenge as we start going into the hills and stuff like that. You know, that, that's what I, I kind of hit on the other day. You know, my in-laws are very good farmers of that. How do I help them understand some of what's going on? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that that's going to be the personal struggle here. We're, we're starting to go down and I think I'm getting some good ideals, you know, but we're, we're going to take baby steps to get there. And ease them into it is about the biggest thing I can emphasize. And, you know, not everybody's going to dive right into what, you know, I, I'm the kind of person I'm going to try something behind the scenes for probably three years at minimum before I tell anybody what I'm doing. And then when we hit, we're, we're going full bore pretty quick. So it looks like we're pretty risky what we do, but, uh, yeah. you know, you, yeah. you've got to get that mindset how how far can you push yourself right right well now jimmy let okay help me out again guys lauren you and jimmy are how many miles apart from each other 800 800 so now let's go 800 miles southwest to jimmy emmons leedy oklahoma how do you tell uh, a neighboring farmer that comes to you and says jimmy I, I got to do something different. Tell, how do I get started? What are we doing? Start slow, uh, small acreage, do side-by-side -side comparisons. Don't start with a big mix like, like where I'm at. Uh, you know, start, like Lauren said, a single, maybe two or three warm seasons uh, in a mix. Uh, very slow. Uh, just try to learn to, to walk a little bit before before you start a marathon. Right. Uh, I had a producer here today said, well, I want to plant corn behind cereal rye, or I, I want to do what Rick Clark's doing and planting corn in, in alfalfa. And I said, don't start there. That's, that's for the, 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 not for the weak of heart. And if you, if you don't have a success there, you're going to be very, very frustrated. And the chances of success there where you're at in your system it is very, very minimal. So, you know, start, start where you need to start slow and steady and start them side by side comparisons in the field and see the change happening and recognize the change happening. And if you see that in your field, you see the, the changing of the soil, the darkness, the earthworms, the, the, the aggregation, the chocolate cake look starting then you get energized yourself because it there's nothing like seeing it in front of you in your own uh space 
in your own place. And, and I believe once you do that, then you understand where you're at and you're ready now for the next step. Yeah. And I'm going to jump on that, Jimmy, with a couple thoughts of my own. You know, you think back of how long we've been on this journey and we have reduced uh, synthetic inputs. We started about, I don't know, 11 years ago. And now yep. we're heading into year eight where we've not used any P, uh, P or K or ag lime. So you can't think going into this that you're going to just change and start your, your whole farm is going to just flip over overnight and we're going to take all the inputs away. It doesn't work like that. It takes years and you have to look at, again, the context. You know, let me give you some context. I'm at the edge of the prairie. We have natural soils at three and a half to four and a half percent organic matter, 2% slope. Um, we have ancestors that care deeply about fertility. So maybe, you know, the current regime is working off of those systems. I don't know, but I do know that we, we, we Haney soil health test and our, our levels are either staying the same or rising. So I don't think we are in that mining situation. I think there's just thousands of pounds of nutrients below our feet and we need to figure out how to unlock them. But with that being said, Jimmy in his native world may not ever get to where we are. I don't know that. I'm not a biologist. I'm not an expert in that field, but I'm just saying there are those areas that the, the inherent natural state is never going to be as great as maybe were the three of us farm. You're not going to change a desert to utopia up there where Lauren lives. It, it's just, it's not, it wasn't created that way to start with. And if you think you're going to, you're not, you're not living in, in reality. Yeah. You know, we, we can get back where we were originally, maybe 3%, 4% as a whole in our area. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we're going to get in that 8, 10, 12%. Uh, Dr. Rattan Law will tell you that if you can get to your natural status, if you get above that, that's like cream on top of the, the shake at Sonic. Uh, and, and that cream may last and it may not. But the key is just getting back to that, that stable base where you originally were. And if you can do that, my gosh, we can do so much more than, than we've been used to in the past. And uh, I, I believe that's the key. Yeah, and, and Jimmy, you're right. You know, we may not see it in our lifetime, but if we can build this foundation and then hand it off to the next generation, or maybe even in Lauren's instance, the, the in-laws are coming in and, and whatever your situation is and get those fundamentals taught and let them take it in then to that, that next level. Yeah, I, I believe that's, that's really true, Rick. And, and you know, I, I just had a guy text me that I've got some lower bottom land uh, that might could compete with you guys. Uh, but to put that in context, it, it would because it's tons and tons of eroded soil 
that went down into the bottomland that, that may have built something that that's comparable. But as a whole, I don't think I can compete with you guys uh, just because we weren't there uh, originally and the erosion was, was too horrendous here. But yeah. once again, I, I think that context is, is very, very important. Uh, and I do know in my area, when I can get my soil organic matter to 3%, it's like another switch turns on and we go from 110 to, to 480 almost. It, it, it's yeah. a really something that changes. Yeah, one of the Jimmy, one of the things I've seen on our farm change very quickly now, and it's taken years to get here. But when you look at aggregate stability and, and you measure that in your profile, we were hovering in that that one to two inch area. And then just all of a sudden we've gone to six inches. So by totally eliminating tillage, totally eliminating the chemistry, all of these caustic acids and salts and all of these things now think what that has done for your engine when you get aggregate stability six inches deep and you've now got all of these pore spaces you now have all kinds of room for that soil to breathe and that's exactly what we're trying to do all three of us have talked all uh, this whole episode about you know, basically what we're trying to do is maximize photosynthesis, pump as much sugar and oxygen into the ground we can and exhaust out CO2 so our cash crops can, can breathe that CO2 in. I mean, that's what basically everything we're talking about here today, maximize the free stuff. I mean, think about it. The sun is the most powerful source of energy known to man and it's free. So we've got to keep every acre covered as long as we possibly can. And, and Rick, you really touched on something there that most people don't understand. And it's the biological communities, just like us, they have to have oxygen and they have to be able to get rid of their CO2. Yeah. You can't, you can't breathe inside a paper bag all day long. That's not going to be successful. And you've got to have that gas flow because them are the partners that we really need to help us free up the minerals and to make this system really work. And once you get that going, like you said, you get that aggregation good, then when you get them big rainfall events, whatever that is, uh, you can take it all. And, yeah. and, and, and that's really key. Well, Jim, I'm gonna to come to Lauren in just a second, but Jim, I always love your answer when your neighbor, you guys just went through a, a big storm in Oklahoma, which seems to happen quite often. Your neighbor gives you a call and, hey, Jimmy, how much rain did you get? And what's your answer? I got it all. I got it all. That's a great answer. What do you think, Lauren? I think one of the big, biggest misnomers we were taught growing up is removal rates on fertility. You know, drive, driving out here on I-90 today, you know, biggest thing I saw was the snark. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we talk removal rates, but does anybody factor in the erosion? Yeah. You know, if we can just stop that, how much more fertility do we have on hand? Yeah. You know, and part, part of my education there goes back to when we first had the greenhouse and that. I started paying attention to the fertility we hauled in versus the produce we hauled out. For every ton of fertility we hauled in, 
we hauled out eight tons of produce. Wow, that's a pretty good ratio. And probably another eight tons of dry matter went into the compost pile with the vines and all that stuff. You know, start asking yourself, where did all that other stuff come from? Mm -hmm. I think that's what you're defining regeneration. You know, and, th and that's in a sterile system. So that, that, that's, you know, when you start factoring yeah. the biology and that, that we've built up in that, it's gotta, gotta start accounting for something. You would think so. You would definitely think so. Well, guys, what, Lauren, how would you like to close, close this up? What would you like to, you know, you got as much time as you want. Uh, give me some closing thoughts here. I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm hoping the folks listening are, you know, we, we, we've got sidetracked so many times and we keep saying we're going to answer the questions. I hope we're answering people's questions. We've got most of them. Answered. A list of a hundred some questions after the no-till conference. You know, I, I'm just so pleased how this whole thing, you know, the thing that started out with me and Jimmy saying, Hey, let's do something different. Let's can the PowerPoint. Let's just talk to the people. Yeah. I, I hope I hope the listeners appreciate that because one, one of the biggest things I appreciate when I'm out seeing people that and talking to people is the live Q&A is where you really find out what people want to learn and talk about. Yes. But it also tells you, you know, if, if you start listening to the people, you listen to them key things, it's going to tell you the person that's telling you the truth or the person that's trying to, you know, polish the rock. And, you know, I, I think that's the common denominator between the three of us. We're, we're just, we're beyond the shiny bells and all that. Let's, yeah. let's help the people that are paying attention and want to learn. If, if you want the shiny rocks, they're out there. And, uh, you know, let, let's, let's figure this thing out because, you know, that, that's probably one thing I'm looking forward to. The end of the month here, Green Cover's putting on one heck of a good meeting. God, I can't wait for that one when you get probably 80 of the best minds out there. That's going to be fun. Yeah. All right, Jimmy, what, uh, what are your thoughts here to, you know, maybe not necessarily just what we talked about today, but just what are your, your closing take home thoughts? Jimmy, are you there? Well, we're gonna we we're gonna on social. we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap this up, um, and I just cannot thank Lauren and Jimmy enough for being on the inaugural podcast of Farm Green. I guys, thank you so much. This has been a blast. I always enjoy speaking with you guys. Lauren, you, you always have a different way to look at things. And that's why I so enjoy talking to you because we don't always think the same. And that's good to have someone that, that energizes you to think about differently. And Jimmy, you are in a whole different world than I live in. I can't imagine living in a world where you could only get six or eight inches of rain. I, I just, it's, it's too much to fathom. So. I keep blaming my granddad for, for stopping where he stopped at. It's like, <laughs> couldn't you win on somewhere else? But, you know, we were going to play the cards that, that's dealt us, Rick. And I'm sorry I, I cut out a while ago. But, you know, what, what I really want 
people to understand is we're we're not or I'm not an expert. I'm yeah, just right. a guy that's trying to figure it out and I want to share. I want to learn uh, much like we've done in school together. We're going to sit down side by side. And if we got to look off one another's sheet once in a while, what's wrong with that? Let's get through this and figure it out ourselves. And, and you know, like I always say, long live the soil. Let's do it together. Right. Well, guys, thank thank you so much. Please, it's been an honor to be on the first one because I know some of the next guests you got coming. It's going to be fun. <laughs> it will be. Please follow Farm Green on social. Here, you can like scan it on your phone. You can hold your phone up, look up, take a picture, and follow them on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of the social media. Thank you so much. I, I hope this was what people want. I want this to be free, you know, casual. I want it to be live. I want all, and we got a lot of questions that we got from the audience. Um, so thank you again and, and hang on for next week because it's Dr. Jerry Hatfield. That man is the carbon master. So this is going to be a good one. So everybody, again, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.